Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. The 2020 NFL schedule is out, and it's listener questions live on Friday here on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, part of the Cincy Jungle Network of podcasts. How's everybody doing? Happy Friday. If you're still able to track what day of the week it actually is during this lovely lockdown time around the world, I'm Anthony Cazenza. Hope you all are doing well. Joined by John Sheeran. John, what's going on, my man? Nothing much. I guess last night was a palooza of news for the circumstances. So I guess that's, I guess that's what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> yeah, and we will be joined shortly by Matt Minnick, who runs the Chalk Talk episodes on the network, among other podcast episodes. So we're, we're looking forward to having him join us. Thank you for joining us as well. We're going to start with the schedule breakdown, and then we're going to transition into listener questions from there. So you've still got some time to get in touch with us to leave your questions. You can leave them in the live chats, whether it's Facebook or the live YouTube channel. You can leave them there. You can also get them to us on the Cincy Jungle comment thread. Get them there. And you can also get them to us, call or text 949-542-6241. Email theobinsider at gmail.com. And, of course, Twitter at Bengals OBI. So get those to us however you can. We'll be getting to those in just a little bit. So hit us up. The schedule came out, John, 2020 NFL schedule. Some interesting tidbits to it. I guess the first place to start before we kind of talk about potential wins, losses, interesting games. Three primetime games, uh, so to speak, right? There's a, a Thursday night football game. very early in the season, much like it was in 2018 when the Bengals in week two took on the Baltimore Ravens on Thursday night football. Week two is a game at the Cleveland Browns on Thursday night football, short week there. There is a, uh, a Monday night football game at the end of the year on December 21st. Uh, so you've got that. And I guess the other one isn't really necessarily prime time. It is week one. It's the season opener, but they start late because they are playing a West coast team in the Midwest, the Los Angeles chargers week one at four Oh five Eastern. So I guess there's two true prime time games. Mm-hmm. And then that one, because of the late start, you can kind of say, well, it's not your traditional 10 AM slash 1 PM start. However you want to look at it. How do you, do, do you, do you think that the narratives will be changing about the Bengals in prime time this year? Or are they still a year or two away, especially with the games they have slated, two divisional games? Do you think that they're a year or two away from maybe turning the tide of that narrative? I think it just depends on how they play. They may not win 
either game, but I think the narrative was that they've always just fell on their faces and made it just completely abysmal, embarrassing performances. Um, they have a chance to win both these games because on the surface, I mean, the Browns and Steelers aren't exactly world beaters, but they're just teams that in recent years have gotten the better of the Bengals. Like we talked about before the show, Bengals haven't beaten the Steelers in literally half a decade. They haven't won a game against the Steelers since 2013 in that Monday night game when Giovanni Bernard kind of went off in one of his uh, debuts as a rookie back then. Um, but I guess you can kind of treat that Browns game like a true primetime game. I know people don't all, all the time think of a Thursday night game as like a true primetime game, but that's going to be Joe Burrow's first game under the lights. Everyone's going to be watching that in, in a division in a division game in a hostile environment on the road. I think it's going to be difficult for just the whole team to like in, in his first road start. It's going to be four days after his debut. So right. That's going to add a tougher layer to that situation. But, you know, they could win that game, but it's going to be it's not an easy game. You can't just look think of it as the Browns and think, you know, we're, they're going to win. They've only won one game in the against the Browns in the past three years. So or two years, excuse me. And, you know, the Steelers Monday night, Sunday night, that they seem to always have a primetime game against them, regardless of the quality of the teams. doesn't matter who the quarterback is there. Like they've shown the propensity to just beat the Bengals in, into submission. Or if, if they're close, they end up closing the games against the Bengals. So, you know, it. The, the changing of the narrative can start this year, and maybe you see some slight growth in that regard. I don't think you look at Joe Burrow and think this guy freezes under the lights because he did it in college. Right. But, I mean, it's different in the NFL, and he has to prove that he can translate that. So he's going to get a chance, but even if they don't win you know, either game or both games, I think it depends more about how how well they perform in, from an overall process standpoint. Is there a Miles Garrett suspension still in play at that point from last year? Is that is that bleeding? I, I meant to research that, and I did not. Um, I don't know if that's bleeding over or not. Um, but if it is, we you know that may play a factor into that game too. I think so. The first thing that comes up is that it, they ended his indefinite suspension, and I guess he was just. They, they called it indefinite because they didn't want to put a number on it, but I think they wanted to like suspend him for a certain amount of time. And I think, right. I, I guess, I guess he's however many games he missed last year that he was suspended for. I think that might be his punishment. I, I'm not seeing anything coming up regarding to it going into this year. He was reinstated by the NFL in February after his indefinite suspension, but I'm not, I'm not seeing anything regarding him missing the first game. Yeah, Ken, Ken Fetcher in the live Facebook said he's been reinstated. So I, I thought I had heard that, but didn't know if that was playing a factor into it. I'm going to bring in the third member of our party, Matt Minnick. Matt, how you doing, buddy? Good, how you doing? Good. Uh, we, we got antsy. We got started just about a minute or so. Without, <laughs> I, hope that's, I hope that's all right, buddy. But, good. Uh, good, good to have you with us. I know we switched up the time a little bit a couple of times on you, but glad you were able to make it with us, talk some schedule. We just... Your timing was actually pretty good because we were just talking about the first part of the schedule and the prime time facet of the schedule and obviously the narratives that surround the Cincinnati Bengals in that venue. Mm -hmm. What do you I guess just kind of starting with that Browns game, your your initial reaction to that, especially with it coming so early in the season and on such short I mean, those games come usually on short rest anyway, but mm -hmm. That's going to be an important game for the Bengals, and it's coming on short rest early in the season. Browns probably have a lot, thinking they have a lot to prove after what they did last year. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because the first game of the year you have the most time for. You know, like, we, like assuming 
and and you know put this asterisk in front of everything we say, but assuming we have a regular preseason and all that, um, Joe Burrow is not not taking a snap in preseason game number four, and really all those guys, all the starters, they they should be installing the game plan like that same week. So you've got really more than a week to prepare for that first matchup. So Burrow's going to have all this time for that. And then boom, like welcome to the NFL. You got to get ready in three days for the, for the Browns. So, I mean, that's going to be a really quick turnaround. That'll be, that'll be very interesting Um, on the road and, you know, in a hostile environment and on that Thursday night, you know, so there's a lot going on there. Um, And I think, I mean, that's a real tone setter to me. Like if, if they win that game, I'm, you know, if if they go two and I'm feeling pretty good. Like, and and not that they're going to like make a a serious runner or anything like that uh, necessarily, but like that's setting a pretty good uh, little tone and, and winning that, that tough game, the divisional game, uh, that road game in prime time, like it's making a point of, Hey, this is different. You know, (laughs) this is, this is not what you're used to. Right. Two, two conference wins at that point, one in division, like you said, on the road and in prime time to start your season, on a short week, then you have the longer week to get into week three. You're feeling pretty good if you get to two and zero. Yeah, it, and then it, you're preparing for you know you're preparing for a really good opponent in the Eagles the, the following week too. So, um, I mean, yeah, that 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 first month's going to be really interesting. And I mean, I think the I think the Eagles are, are going to be tough. I mean, that's going to be that's the one you'd probably chalk up to a loss. Uh, you know, just ca- casually looking at it and being honest with yourself. But I mean, if they can. If they can, like we already talked about, how it's going to be difficult to beat the Browns in Week Two, and you know if they can come back in Week Four after what's win or loss going to be a difficult game and and a challenge, I think against the Eagles uh, and be the Jaguars, even though you know it's not the best team in their uh, you know it's not the best team in their schedule, but that's showing you can come back after having you know, a tough emotional, you know, physical game, hopefully, and, and uh, against the Eagles uh, and and win another one. I mean, it's just those situations. And that's what, you know, one of the things we talk about with Burrow is, well, he hasn't been in a lot of tough situations because he had such an incredible year. Um, you know, if he can, if, if this team can show they have, like, the character, the personality, whatever, to, to be able to overcome some of those things in the first few weeks, I mean, that's a really good sign. And... You are the king of the, the segue, my friend, because that's where I'm going next. The first four or five games, you know, if, if you kind of want to dissect the schedule into, I guess, quarters or thirds, the first four or five games are really interesting uh, as we as we look at it. Um, and I am I've pulled that up here for those watching on uh, watching us live here on the video. Um you know, you see the the Chargers start the year, the Browns. You mentioned the Eagles, Matt. Then you get into the Jaguars and the Ravens. So to me, as I look at this schedule, there's kind of some ebbs and flows to it. Uh, it. It seems as if there are some winnable games a little bit towards the very beginning of the schedule. Weeks one, two, and four seem to be of that especially. Six seems to be winnable. Uh, then you look, you know, later on, you've got some NFC East matchups. Uh, that potentially seem to be win- winnable as well as AFC East matchup. Uh, and then, you know, to me, the last month of it, John, the last month seems to be kind of a, a gauntlet. But um, 
ideally, if the Bengals are going to make a run, if you go ideally and realistically, by the time the buy hits, which is right smack in the middle of the season, where would you where would you feel good about this team being record wise if they are going to make some sort of late run by the time the buy week is hits? Well, I think someone in the comment section said it perfectly. Like the first month and the last month are brutal, and there's no yeah. way of d- d- going around that. And then between weeks six through thirteen or twelve, then you have more winnable games where you can build momentum for a late postseason run. Um, the middle of the middle of the season bye week is always good. I think they had that last year as well, even though they're zero and eight last year. But I mean, the Browns, Eagles, and Ravens right there. That's to me, that's three losses. I know we have people in the comment section saying that the Eagles aren't good, and I don't understand that at all. And the Ravens are the kings of the north, and they're still really good. So I don't see them winning those games on the road. Um, so they could be one and four to come out of the gate. And then you have, you know, from weeks six through 12, you, I believe they play Washington, they play New York, um, they, they, they host the Browns, they go on the road against the Colts. Uh, any of those four games, I can see them winning, and they can come back to around. F- maybe 500 by uh, week nine when they go into the bye. And then say they're at like four and four going into um, week 10 at the Steelers, but you know, a place that they haven't won in five years, you know, last year they got their, their asses kicked on prime time in that location and it will be Joe Burrow's first time against the Steelers. So maybe that's the statement game. Maybe that's what tips um, p- tips the scales in terms of how the season's going to play out at, at, you know, by the season's end. Um, because after that, then you have two winnable games at Washington against the Giants, and then you go back to Miami to play the Dolphins and hopefully have more relaxing game back then because at the end of the year, hosting the Cowboys, Steelers Monday night, face the AFC champs and the Texans, and then host the Ravens one more time. Like if, if they're in a if they're in a position to potentially, you know, reach Eclipse five hundred and maybe push for that final playoff spot. Like that's got to be at least three wins right there to to be comfortable getting into that setting. But it all depends on how really they respond after that first month, in my opinion, because I don't think the first month is going to be very pretty for them. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast joined by Chalk Talks, Matt Minnick, one of the esteemed members of our channel, as well as John Sheeran, my co-host on this show and a co-host on Sorry If I Spit When I Speak with Daddy O'McDuke and Hoji Smoji. You're joining us as we talk about the 2020 NFL schedule, the Bengals schedule that was released Thursday night. We'll also be taking some listener questions. I mentioned at the top of the show, you can get those questions to us in the live chat. Call or text us at our phone number, 949-542-6241. You can email us, theobinsider at gmail.com. Tweet us at BengalsOBI. Or you can leave it in the comment thread on cincyjungle.com in the, the live uh, thread that we have going there. Matt, personally speaking, I find, I mean, aside from the divisional games, of course, I find that I look at the Colts game as particularly interesting. I look at the Miami game as very interesting because it's Tua versus Burrow. Um, you know, those are a couple of games that really stick out to me as ones that aren't always on the schedule and seem to be very interesting what are some of the ones that stick out to you as you, you kind of salivate a little bit thinking about how fun that potential game could be or game? I mean, the Eagles game is a little, a little early in the year, uh, but I think that could be interesting because they've got a really good defensive uh, coordinator, even though they don't necessarily have the, uh, 
you know, the players they need over there all the time. Uh, but but I, I believe they have some, made some additions on that side of the ball, uh, with Darius Slay and some others. Um, so I think that'll be interesting. And they're going to, you know, have a couple games worth of tape on Burrow at that point. Uh, so that could be the first real challenge to somebody who actually knows what we're doing with Burrow. Because uh, obviously the Browns, you know, they're going to have one game in like two days to break it down. So uh, that's the first real time you're seeing somewhat of a game plan that's actually about Joe Burrow's offense. Uh, another thing with that is because it's early in the year, I'm not, I'm not sure, but if they're going to start using Jalen Hurts and put him into a Taysom Hill role, that's a time that we kind of preview what we're going to see uh, from Lamar Jackson or against Lamar Jackson. Um, you know, obviously they're, they're very different athletes, but, but I think, you know, the, the quarterback, uh, running dynamic that the, that they might try and work in with with Hertz, uh, that could be interesting. Could be a nice little warm up to that a couple of weeks before if they if they do have a ten play package or something like that going uh, going into that. Um, I think the Ravens one is it's interesting. We play the Ravens in week seventeen with the new playoff format because if in week seventeen, let's say the Chiefs already have the one seed and the Ravens can't get it. And the Ravens have already won the division. Like, are we playing RG three that week? Uh, so, I mean that that could that could be a gimme game. You know, not not not. I mean, obviously it's still a good team, but we might not see Lamar Jackson that week. I, I think that maybe that's something they didn't think about when they changed the schedule. But I kind of feel like that that we're going to have some less competitive Week Seventeen games because uh, people aren't competing for that that uh, second uh, bye week there. Um, so yeah, those definitely uh, stick out to me. Uh, re- return of Dalton, you know, whether he's whether he's playing or not, that'll be that'll be fun. Um, and I, I mean, I think the Colts are a really well coached team too. Even even with uh, the question mark at quarterback right now, I, I, I think they're a very well coached team and a pretty well coached defense. Uh, they, they get a little stagnant, uh, you know, don't don't change quite as quickly as they uh, should sometimes. But another potential challenge for uh, Joe Burrow there. I, I, I think at the end of the year, you have at least three games. If everything goes right, say the Bengals are in the playoff race, um, Cowboys, Texans, and Ravens. Um, Cowboys didn't win the division, but they should be in contention this year. I think those are potential games that can get flexed too. Uh, all, all on Sunday, you know, late in the uh-huh. year. Like like if the Ravens, say the Ravens, you know, like are are competing for one of the buy spots at that point in the Bengals, you know, are, are still competing for the wild card. That's obviously a flex opportunity sure. Texans as well. Um, if the Cowboys remain or, or bounce back this year with, with Dak, I think that's another thing as well. So it's going to be tough at the end of the year, but if the Bengals are as good as some of us hope that they are, then they're in position to have some meaningful games and then therefore get more primetime games on, on the docket. Interesting points by both of you. I didn't really think about the playoff seeding aspect and, um, you know, some of those other facets that you both raised. You know, if the Bengals, it's it's interesting what Matt said, you know, if the Bengals happened to be an eight and seven at the end of the year, right, and there's a, a scrum for a wild card spot or that extra wild card spot, whatever the case may be, is that, you know, is are, are they able to stumble into a spot because of a gimme game? Uh, at the end of the year because t- a team like the Ravens may be sitting guys. You know, it's it's interesting to see how s- some of those scenarios could play out. I want to go here next, John, and this is from Paris Blair. 
in the live Facebook chat because it's kind of a spin on a question mm-hmm. I already had in my mind. Uh, you know, what guys do you think? What what teams do you guys think are misleading? I'll ask both of you both of you this, but uh, start with you, John. What teams do you think are misleading as a winnable game? And I was going the other way with it. You know, what what team do you see as who was maybe a world beater last year or has been a traditional powerhouse that either could be on the downslide this year or the Bengals could sneak past them? I mean, he, the, the, the teams that he's mentioning, Indianapolis, Los Angeles, Tennessee, and um, the, the NFC teams minus Dallas, I don't think Tennessee is a winnable game at all on paper. Like, they beat the Ravens and Patriots last year in the playoffs. I think you could see massive regression from Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry, but that defense is still pretty good, even though they lost Gerald Jer- Casey. So until, until they are frauds, I don't think you can list them as frauds. And I think that the Bengals should be easily, you know, uh, underdogs in that matchup. Uh, the Chargers, it really depends on, you know, how good is Tyrod at that point? Because I don't think Herbert's going to start the year. And they might just have the, the advantage at quarterback, even with a rookie quarterback in Burrow. Um, you know, the, the Colts is going to depend on how well Rivers is at the end of his career. I think he's in a good situation to make them competitive at the very least because, you know, Ballard and has built that roster pretty well. And like Matt said, they're really well, they're really well coached. And the NFC, the NFC East teams, like obviously Philly's competitive. And we talked about that. Um, Washington and New York don't really do anything for me because I just, I'm not confident in their quarterbacks outplaying Burrow at that point. Mostly when I look at 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 these things, the the quarterbacks matter the most. And, you know, for, for people, you know, who have high hopes for this team, it's rare for rookie quarterbacks to be productive from an above average standpoint. And that's the most important aspect aside from coaching, obviously that can get your team into competitive situations towards the end of the year. So from a week to week standpoint, I I look at the quarterbacks more often than not. And that's why a lot of these teams are right now um, in terms of Vegas odds, they're projected to have higher win totals than the Bengals. Because I mean, it's it's hard to trust rookie quarterbacks to be to be above average, even though even if one of them is Joe Burrow. So, um, yeah, I, I think Tennessee's not winnable at this point. I think um, Indianapolis is going to be a little tougher, and the Chargers really depends on how Tyrod plays. Uh, Matt, I want to give the same question to you, but I want to add a little facet to it. I want to get your thoughts on the Steelers. Um, John and I were talking before we took the air, and and props to John. I I didn't really look at it this way. But the Bengals haven't beaten the Steelers in like five years. Uh, I mean, they haven't – a game, one A game against the Steelers in five years. They came close last year, believe it or not, I think with Ryan Finley under center. That was kind of a close game towards Mm -hmm. the end of the year. And then the Bengals had another couple close ones, if I remember correctly, in 2018. Um, One that really ended up kind of nosediving their their season after they had that that fun first part of the season in 2018. You know, Ben's back – the Steelers always are competitive. They always play their best ball in December, but there are questions, I think. You never want to count them out. So I guess I, 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 along with some of these other games we mentioned, I'd like to also get your thoughts on the Steelers and how you view them this coming year. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think those those games, the second one last year was very close. Obviously, the, the quarterback situation last year. Um for both the days. first the first game, it wasn't close on the scoreboard, but it was just like a couple of big plays the defense gave up. Mm-hmm. And I think so. There's there's two things with the Bengals that that could potentially be a huge change this year. We don't know. 
All right, number one is Burrow, and that's the most obvious. And you know, we've seen Burrow, so we have the we have the the hopes for that uh, to have that quarterback play. But there's been a lot of changes on defense, particularly in the secondary. And if they can just play better assignment football, you know, and just stay on top of deep balls, hold some edges, make tackles, uh, because they give up a lot of big plays. Uh, and she's one, yeah, like well, we, there were like two drives, I think, against the Steelers that were like two or three play drives. They, they, they just completed a, a deep one uh, on us in a coverage that I think, uh, I think Goodberry and I spent like, you know, a month apiece trying to figure out what the coverage was supposed to be. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think the defense can improve a lot. Uh, and I think that's what, that's going to be really interesting when it comes down to it. Uh, their defense, which they they did a great job of shoring up last year with Mika Fitzpatrick versus, you know, uh, versus the rookie quarterback uh, and the Bengals defense versus the Steelers that have, have given them a lot of trouble. I think Monday night football at the end of the year is really interesting because, I mean, regardless of what the rest of the years look like, because uh, we know there's, we know things aren't going to be as perfect as, as, as we hope they are right now. Uh, and I tend to paint a rosy picture. Uh, but, you know, I, I realize that not everything's going to go the right way. Uh, Burrow's going to throw some picks. Uh, you know, they're going to make some mistakes. Um, but, Beating the Steelers on Monday Night Football, and actually, this is weird, but beating the Steelers in Cincinnati because we know uh, Roethlisberger plays really well in, in Ohio. Um, that could be—I mean, that like that's a real statement. Even if it's Week 15 and you're out of the playoff picture, um, doing that on national uh, television, like that—that that really says something. Um, overall, I think the Steelers. I, I don't know how great Roethlisberger is right now. And I get that he's put up some numbers in recent years, but especially at the beginning of the year, he's, he's always rough. And there was just a, a thing recently about basically his training regimen is like walking around and drinking Bush light or something like that. But <laughs> I mean, like, like he, he doesn't do anything. Uh, there was, yeah, there was a report out there. I think it was from uh, Jake. Lee. He, he, he looks it, man. He looks like it. Jeez. Um, and, and he looks like it in September too. And that's why like every year I'm like, man, he's done. Uh, but he, he always manages to work it out and, and they're to their credit. And I hate to say it, but they are a team that tends to get better over the course of the year. Um, which unfortunately uh, we got them twice in the last half of the year. So, so we'll, we'll see how long that's going along, but I mean, he's coming off an injury and he, he's not getting any younger. Uh, I do, however, think the way that team is built and, I think, you know, John might jump down my throat a little bit for this one, but I think that team is built the right way. And I think that team can win games without good quarterback play. Um, and I think Minka sealed up the defense so they can do that. They, they're a little, not quite as good as they used to be on the offensive line. Um, it, it is admittedly an unreliable way. And there's a lot more factors, a lot more injuries they could come up by that point uh, that could sink it. Uh, but I think the way they're built, they can they can survive uh, even if he, uh, you know, even if they're not getting great play out of the quarterback. I mean, crap! They they, they went eight and eight with Duck Hot, some guy named Duck Hodges as the quarterback right? from the time. So, like, yeah, they're definitely built for it. And I think the addition of Minka, like, really, like you, you talked about this on Twitter the other day, the addition of Minka Fitzpatrick and that defense really made that defense and it, it it just carried the quarterbacks. And it's not sustainable, but it definitely is possible because of just how they're structured. 
Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the PropG podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get to our win-loss predictions, if we want to give them way too early and I already put, put mine out there and I'll share mine first. I'll be the sacrificial lamb on that front. But before we get to that, I mean, obviously I, I want to talk about expectations and what can be considered a successful season in terms of a win loss record. Uh, if you want to go, you know, specific games to win and all of that, fine. But look, there, there is a, a wide wide view as to where this team will finish in terms of where people sit right now. They look at the schedule now. They see how it's laid out. They see what the team did this offseason, see what they did last year, and they're making their predictions. I've seen a lot of 4-12s. and 12s. I'm seeing 5-11s and 11s in the live chat. Uh, I see 8-8s. Eight eight. I see upwards of 9-7, and 10-6. and six. All over the map. All over the map. I think we can all agree that we're not going to be in line for a two, two and 14 season. I think that's, that's fair to say, but I'll start with you again, John, in terms of what would be a, a big step in progress, what would be something that you can be, that we can, we can feel good about as fans, as a finish to the season, obviously 10 wins, playoffs, all that stuff. That would be great. I'm talking more, you know, is six wins something that would would be a positive? Is seven wins? Is eight wins? What What do you think is kind of like? Hey, we can feel pretty good if the Bengals finish here, even if it means no playoffs. Anything over four wins, in my opinion, is is success relative to who they are and what they did last year. Obviously, like they're they're not they're not in, they're not preparing for the season to say, hey, if we win five wins, we're going to be happy. Like that's not how obviously teams operate. Right. Not how coaches do this stuff. Um, they're in line to regress positively based off last year. They were 0 and 8 in one score games. They had a, a crap ton of injuries, but I guess that's just never going to not be a thing with the Bengals until it isn't. Um, but they're in line to be a little bit luckier this year. They're in line to have better quarterback play, even though it, it may it may be a little variable bait because he is a rookie. Um, like, and you know they, they do have plenty of winnable games on the schedule based on you know how we expect those teams to play out. Anywhere in like that that five to eight range, I think is reasonable, and I think it is a sign of growth. I think if you expect anything more than that, you're just letting yourself um, get disappointed towards the end. Matt, uh, I mean, I go a little higher than that because I I think there's a few games in there that there's going to be some bad teams, uh, and, and it's hard to know for sure who they are right now. But I I like the Redskins and the Dolphins might be okay by that time of the year. Um, you know, with some changes they made off the field and on the field uh, in, in those groups. But, I mean, there's going to be a couple of teams that aren't very good. Um, but then you've got to show you can win some of these tough games too. I, I think I want to at least split with everybody in the division. That's going to be really hard with the Ravens. Uh, but I'd feel much better if they could somehow pull one off uh, against the Ravens. Um so I don't know. I, I think I'm I'm feeling okay with like maybe six, 
but I, I think this team, I think this team has the ability this year to be in that 500 range. You know, I, like I don't like I could see them sneak into you know eight or nine, but I, I mean I think six seven is a is a reasonable. Reasonable hope. I guess we won't quite put expect, expectation on it. I guess, but because um, I, yeah, I mean, and and again, if we don't, I mean, if it is like four, and they're doing some things, I mean, like I want to see them beat a good team. I want to see them put together a good game plan. I want to see them adjust in game. I want to see Burrow. I want to see them go into a tough environment and and win, or you know, just come back from from you know tough odds in certain situations. You know what I mean? Uh, like I, I think it's more about how they react to the things that happen over the course of the year. And I think, like, honestly, people are comparing this season to the 2011 season when they had a rookie and quarterback and they had a crazy offseason with the lockout. They went 9-7, and seven, and I just don't think that's a reasonable expectation. They were, I mean, in all honesty, Andy Dalton was a below-average quarterback that year when you look at the metrics that matter. Mm. And, you know, A.G. Green's impact was obviously immense, and that's kind of how what the offense went through along with Cedric Benson. But... I mean, I, I don't think Andy Dalton the season that year is doing Joe Burrow any favors this year. If, if that's the expectation because it happened before, that it can happen again, and people are equating that Burrow's better quarterback than Andy Dalton, I just think that's really faulty logic, and I think it's setting people up for um, eventual disappointment. That year in 2011, they won a lot of close games. They lost a couple of close games as well, but it, it's not. it shouldn't be the expectation just because it happened 10 years ago. Oh sure, yeah. no, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and, and everything's different, and I, I mean, the league is different now. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a it's a different game now. But uh, yeah, I, to me, like nine and seven, like that's a that's a ceiling for me. Like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be absolutely shocked by it. But we're getting some good breaks, and a lot of a lot of these moves are panning out even better than expected. Here's, here's an interesting facet that we kind of keep forgetting, or at least I do. Kentucky Ron says eight or nine games were one-score losses last year. Uh, mm-hmm. That is that is an interesting facet to note. How that translates to net this, this coming year, we'll see. But the Bengals with Ryan Finley and others in the lineup, uh, they, they actually had quite a few games that were very close and or even some of the ones that were you know 10 point games I look back to the Jacksonville game that game was pretty tight for a while um even though that wasn't a one score game so there's a lot of that stuff but you could say that really about a lot of teams every year I think a six to eight win season I mean technically you have anywhere from three to four times the amount of wins you had last year I think that is a a successful season in year one of the Joe Burrow era, era um and, you know, I, I keep kind of dreaming about the 2003 season. You guys keep talking about 2011. I keep thinking about 2003 when Marvin Lewis first came in. They had John Kitna, and, you know, they kind of started a little slow and got hot, almost made the playoffs. They were in it to the very last game, and they lost against the Browns to get themselves out of it. But that was a really fun year. To me, if they have fun, if they show progression, and they're able to win some of these games that were have – traditionally been very frustrating in terms of primetime venues, that sort of thing. Even if they finish with six or seven wins and they win some of those games, they have some of those under their belt. I think that that is, that could be construed as a successful season, even though they don't make the postseason. So here's what I did guys, uh, because I am just so brilliant. I am sharing the wins and loss, a, a very early wins loss prediction that I did that is on our comment thread. By the way, get your questions in. We're going to get to a few of those towards the end here. Um, 
but it's but before that, it's all the, the I went through the games and just kind of uh, did a brief brief synopsis win loss type of type of situation. So uh, I had I had uh, week one win against the Chargers, week two loss against the uh, at Browns on Thursday night, loss against Philly in Philly in week three, win against Jacksonville two and two Ravens. A loss in Baltimore, two and three. Week six, I had a win against Indy, three and three. Week seven, a win against the Browns in Cleveland, four. I'm, I'm sorry, at home, four and three. Uh, a loss at home against the Titans, so they're four and four. They're 500 at the bye. Uh, a loss against the Steelers, four and five. A loss, uh, a win at Washington to get back to five and five. A win, kind of a little bit of a streak here. A win against the Giants, six and five. A win at Miami, seven and six. And then I had him hitting a big skid at the end here. Four straight losses against the Cowboys, Steelers, Texans, and Ravens to get to seven and nine. That's what I had. Where do you guys have yours? And I'll start with you, Matt. Real putting you on the spot. Early prediction based on what you see, what you've seen from the team this offseason and how the schedule played out. Can you, uh, can you go back to the screen with the uh, with the full schedule on it? Sure. So I'll screw this up. <laughs> No, I got you. Give me a sec here. Um, week one, you can start with week one is the... I almost uh, said San Diego, but yeah, the Chargers. I, I, that's all right. <laughs> the other day, dude, the other day I was talking about the Raiders and I, I still said Oakland and someone... Oh, had that's gonna be, yeah, that's, that's going to be a really tough, tough yeah, one. Every someone, time somebody says Las Vegas, I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm pulling that up for you. Give me one sec. And, uh, we'll all right, so the Chargers, I, I think that's a win. I think when you look at the... the quarterback situation between the two teams. I mean, it's probably going to be Tyrod at that point. I honestly, I'd, I think Tyrod's going to be tougher than Herbert <laughs> at that point uh, in the year. Uh, I, I Not that, you know, negative on, on Herbert's career, but um, I think Herbert's going to throw some picks and make some mistakes early on. So uh, either way, regardless of who's the quarterback, uh, I like the win there. Um, then the short week Browns on Thursday night. I, we're gonna we're gonna see between two coaching staffs, you know that there are some question marks about uh, who can get it done there. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the Bengals in that one though. Uh, Eagles week three that's gonna be a loss. Uh, Jaguars I think they'll pull the, off the win against the Jaguars. Uh, and then I mean you talk about the ebbs and flows. I think this run's gonna be tough. Um, so Ravens will be a loss. Colts, I think I think it'd be a loss. Um, uh, as much as I'd like to say they're going to sweep the Browns, I'm going to I'm going to take that one as a loss too, and the Titans. So that's a big swing. So that gets it to three and five, uh, and a four game losing streak going into the bye, which really sets up something interesting here. Because uh, I think the Titans are going to be a tough game regardless. You're going to have the bye. What are they doing game planning with extra time going or having uh, Pittsburgh come to them for week 10? Um, so, th- I mean, that that's an interesting uh, one as well. I like uh, I like the Bengals on that one with the extra week to prepare. Uh, so that gives, gives us the four wins. Uh, and then it's a... Could go on a nice little stretch here. Uh, you know, also coming off a, a, a tear like that, that, you know, that lost all those games, you know, uh, Burrow 
particularly, but really everybody to kind of keep it together uh, and and get the win coming off the bye after uh, a lot of disappointment there. That would be huge. Um, so that gets us to, to presumably a fairly easy stretch uh, with the Redskins, Giants, and Dolphins. Uh, I'm going to say that uh, the, the rookie coach in Washington is going to pull one off. I, uh, I, I mean, I think by that point we might actually yeah, – we're, we're not, never mind. Not, not a great record. but um, So I'll, I'll give it to the Redskins there. I'll take the, the Giants uh, and the Dolphins as wins. So that's six. Uh, Cowboys would be a loss, I believe. Pittsburgh, Monday Night Football, already got them once. I don't think it's going to happen twice. Uh, so still at six wins. Houston Texans. I, I, is this the year the wheel falls off for them? Like Bill O'Brien, the the GM, you know, keeps screwing up so bad. But Bill O'Brien, the coach, like manages <laughs> to get him to the playoffs every year. Bill O'Brien, the dictator. Right. <laughs> All right. Um. Yeah, I'm gonna take the win there. So that that puts it seven, and then we'll say a loss to the to the Ravens. So so seven and nine. Uh, we got Ant- Ant- Antonio Antoine Malone Jr. in the comments section. If we win less than nine games, I will give someone my house, car, and wife when I find one. I think we already have uh, Kentucky Ron taking him action on that. Vegas has him at five and a half wins, so you might want to adjust that over under right there. Um, I mean, seven. seven I mean, pounds. Like, didn't didn't Peyton Manning like set a record for? Uh, most interceptions in a season his rookie year. And I mean, like, like it's a different game and they're different guys, but like Burrow can have some struggles and, and, you know, he was just okay. His first year at LSU, obviously the offense changed and things like that, but sometimes it takes a, a little while to get your feet under you. And, and this kind of parallels, I, I'm sorry, I cut you off there, John, but uh, uh, this kind of parallels his first year at LSU because he was still graduating from Ohio state. He didn't, he didn't have spring ball. Mm-hmm. Going to that first year, so all he had was camp, and you know Burrow is. You know, we're not going to have any OTAs. It looks like, you know, all he's going to have is camp, maybe a shortened camp. So I mean, it just might be a little bit slow, and that doesn't mean he's not going to be the dude we all want him to be. Um, it, you know, but ex- expecting him to to be a world beater might right now is it's rough. <laughs> I, all I've been doing for the past two days has been going through, you know. Expected points added per play, PFF, PFF grade, QBR, completion percentage above expectation, c- combining all those metrics into one aggregate ranking for quarterbacks in the season. You look at the you look at the rookies who finished in the top half of the league. It's Dak Prescott, and then you have to go all the way back to Russell Wilson, RG three, and Andrew Luck. That's just of this decade. Like good above average rookie quarterback performances are rare, especially even though. In, an era where the passing game has exploded exponentially. So if Burrow doesn't do that well this year, it's not a sign of concern. It's just him fitting in with the norm of the reality of rookie quarterback play. Um, so it, it's tough for me to say that a rookie quarterback is going to lead a team to more than eight wins, especially in the schedule where I think it's ranked the the 10th uh, toughest according to just predicted wins losses from Vegas. Uh, looking through the entire schedule, uh, like again, Washington, New York, they, they don't really 
they can really scare anybody. I think the Colts and the Chargers are also completely winnable games there. That already, that's already four wins that I'd be comfortable in. And that's in four wins based off last year. That's improvement. That's that but a two win improvement is still fitting in with the, with the narrative of teams that are unlucky one year tend to be more lucky the next year. That's still in line for improvement and progression. Anything beyond that, you know, when you get into the six, seven, eight win range, that's you leave more up to doubt because you're facing tougher teams. And like I, I did this last year, I went through the entire schedule. I had them at seven to nine. I got ripped for it. And they had finished two and fourteen. So, like, we we just don't know anything right now. We didn't know anything in August or September last year. We certainly don't know anything in May. It, high expectations are fun, and I think we just all need them right now because we don't even know when the season's going to freaking start. But also, we just have to look at the things that we do know based off of history, and that leads me to believe anywhere between five and eight. I'll go six and ten for the hell of it. All right, so two seventy-nines and a six and ten from John Sheeran as our predictions as we sit here right now. Obviously, injuries and all kinds of stuff play into that, but that's our early predictions. We're gonna get out of here in just a few minutes. Before we do, we're going to get to some listener questions. Get yours into us, 949-542-6241. Call or text. You can get us on Twitter at Bengals OBI if you are in the live chats, whether it's on Facebook or YouTube. Uh Hit us up with a, a question there. I saw a couple, and uh, maybe you guys, if you keep your eyes peeled on some of that, we can we can pick out something there. And obviously, we'll be monitoring the comment section on the Cincy Jungle thread. I, we do, guys, have a caller on the line, and it is Terrell, our good friend Terrell. How you doing, buddy? Terrell, how are you, buddy? Doing good. Good to good to hear from you. Been a while. Oh uh, yeah, I know. But y'all y'all guys have been man, great, man. Just with just the whole draft thing, just been building up with everything. Y'all guys have been on point, great. Everybody know uh, black and orange, everything. Just just been great for real. But uh, I just wanted to say that uh, they they hit us with that the toughest uh, schedule though for real. They they act like Barrel won the Super Bowl. For real, like that, that was that was that was uh, kind of kind of crazy though. But another thing though, uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, y'all, a lot of people too going back and forth. Said the gate, uh, Davis Gator or uh, or uh, Beasley is gonna be the one, two that's gonna be the one that's gonna be the uh, great linebacker for us. I hope so. And then I just hope that the free agents uh, do good for us and Burrow. If he if he at least play a uh, win the playoff game between his rookie year, my question is that for that for you is if he win the playoff game in his rookie year with the five straight that 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 Dalton did, would that crush that? That's what I want to ask you, man. And I just hope Nixon get his money, and I, and I just <laughs> let y'all handle that. All right, thanks, Terrell. Appreciate it. Uh, if hey, if if Joe Burrow wins a playoff game in his first season i think you build a freaking statue uh personally but uh look i think what he was saying does does the one playoff win in just one year from burrow does that trump what andy dalton did in the five straight postseason appearances with the with the Bengals and the couple of division crowns that were in there interesting kind of hypothetical i don't know if you guys have thoughts on that i mean it shuts people up <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're not, we're not going to be talking about the Bengals that can't win a playoff game anymore. So, I mean, it's something. 
I mean, shit, uh, that, that won't just be Burrow winning a playoff game in his rookie year. That'll be Zach Taylor winning a playoff game in his second year as a coach, mm-hmm. doing something that Marvin Lewis never did in 16 years. So that's that's a double that's a double whammy there. If they make the playoffs, it's yeah. exceeding all reasonable expectations. And if they win a playoff game, it's like the most successful season I think you can rationally expect from this team. So, yeah, yeah. that would be impressive. I mean, and going back to like what I was saying about the Ravens before, so if they sneak into the playoffs, they're playing the second-best team in the AFC. Yeah, you know, like, like that last spot, it, like you're you're playing somebody who's really good. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's probably the, it's probably the Ravens again, or maybe it's the Chiefs if if the Ravens, you know, win 14 games or something. So that's that's really something because you got to think about what that matchup's going to be too. That's so weird how they're doing the playoff rules this year, but they're waiting a year for the 17. Um, what was it? Or, or is it? They have between 2021 and 2023 the the uh, owners can elect to add the, the uh, extra game. Right. Yeah. But I guess it's because there's like, there's like a lot more to work out with that. Like who gets the extra home game and like which direct, I think, I think they're going to bump the, the schedule back and take off a preseason game. But I guess there's a lot more like logistics with that than just adding one more game. Mm-hmm. Let's talk uh, because Terrell brought it up. And also Josh cook. I saw, I think earlier brought it up. Maybe it was somebody else in the live chat. Basically, oh, it was Josh Cook? What if what if Joe Mixon holds out, John? What is the contingency plan? How less viable and effective does it make that Bengals offense with Joe Burrow under center? Joe Mixon is objectively a better running back than any other running back that the Bengals have on their roster. I don't think anybody is arguing that. The value of having Joe Mixon out there compared to a rotation of Giovanni Bernard. Rodney Anderson, Travion Williams, or even Jacquez Patrick, if he somehow makes the team, it, it's not as different as many people want to say this. And obviously, Mixon does things better than all those guys. But in terms of actually winning football games, it's not going to be a it's not going to be a situation that Mixon wants to find himself in. I don't like regardless if Mixon does play or doesn't, they can go one and four. And and if he misses those games and they go one and four, fans are going to turn to the front office and say, "Pay this guy. He's the reason why they're losing." And in all likelihood, it's probably not going to be the case. I don't think he's going to end up holding out. I think ultimately he's going to sign an extension. Everyone's going to be happy. But if they do struggle early on, it's probably not going to be because of Joe Mixon. It's probably going to be more for the uh, the, more, the more important factors that make up winning football games. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, uh, I, I don't know. Like uh, it was an old, like an old Bill Walsh thing. Like the last position like you really want to focus on when when you've got everything else is when you get a when you get a top flight receiver and i kind of feel like it's that way about running back now like and, and, and look at the chiefs that's exactly what the chiefs did you know like the chiefs won a super bowl and now they're going to be really good with with clyde, with clyde edwards hilaire next year um but you know what impact does clyde edwards hilaire have uh on the Tampa Bay, well, that's a bad example. They had Tom Brady, uh, but but you know, like uh, on somebody that was else that was you know choosing in the top ten. What does Edwards Hilaire do for that team? Um, I think running backs kind of, I think running backs can push you over that edge, um, and, and I think you know, I think I think Ezekiel Elliott does have a lot of value to the Cowboys because the Cowboys should be a very competitive team, um, and Ezekiel Elliott is actually a great comparison for Joe Mixon because. They are both painfully underused in the passing game for what their ability is uh, in the passing game. 
But even like just having that type of runner, I think can push you over the edge, but it can't, it can't get you to where you need to be in the first place. Right. John Paris Blair Facebook here says, give, give a, a breakout player or a couple uh, who are some, some breakout players for you. So he's mentioning, I'm looking at his comment, Auden Tate, CJ Uzoma, Darius Phillips. It might be a little late for Uzoma to truly break out. I think who he is now is who we can expect him to be. It, it Like Auden Tate, maybe, even though he's your fourth or fifth guy, it, is de- it depends on your expectations there. Darius Phillips, um, depending on injuries, could see a, a bigger role. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off script here and a guy, a guy that he didn't mention, Renell Wren, because I think it's going to be interesting to see Hmm. If they use him as a, a quote-unquote starter when they're in their their three-four sets at five technique, I know they played him a lot, sort of in that position, and he was kind of drafted. Uh, we thought he was kind of drafted more as a nose tackle, but maybe they put Tupo at nose tackle behind DJ Reader, give him a little more rotation, and give Renell Ren a, a, an increased role because he started playing a little bit better towards the end of last year, and maybe he, he takes 300, 400 snaps in that role in a role that fits his body type and his strengths. So I, I'm going to say. Renell Ren is is a, a underrated breakout candidate. Ralph Phoenix says Drew Sample. That's an interesting one. What about you, Matt? I, I like the Ren pick, and, and I honestly, I, I'll give you full credit because I wouldn't have thought of it. But I, the other thing about him is he's he's pretty athletic. Mm-hmm. Like in college, they, they had him in on the move all the time. Uh, so I, I think he can you can get into that three four defense and have a guy who. But you can still run crazy pass run rush stunts even with that personnel on the field. Um, and I mean, and we see that where because of the way the league is and, and how how they do things, like you're going to get caught with that personnel and they're going to spread everybody out and Hubbard's going to have to cover a slot. Uh, so now being able to have a guy like Ren who can, you know, who, who can stunt, who, I think can get after the quarterback a little bit. Um, that'd be interesting. Um, looking at the, the guys that, we're talked about. I don't know. I, with everything going on in this roster, I think if Tate's a breakout player, it's very bad news for for AJ Green and John Ross. Uh, probably uh, those guys probably didn't make it very far. Um, I think on that in that group though, I think it really could be Tyler Boyd. And I that sounds a little weird uh, because like we all talk about him uh, and, and we know how good he is, but. Uh, the more I, the more I think about it, like, and how much Joe Burrow loves throwing, you know, deep digs over the middle, and and I mean, I think he can fit into that into that role. And I, I don't like people talk about like give give a guy a tight end, you know, give a young quarterback a tight end. That's not how this offense is set up. I think that Justin Jefferson was the security blanket at LSU, and I think Tyler Boyd's the guy that's going to be running most of those routes. So. I think that Tyler Boyd might be the number one receiver at the end of the year. So we'll, mm. take, that, we'll take that for a hot take, I guess. Uh, so, and I, and I guess that's what it would have to be to, to call it a breakout for him. I think you might be looking at it and saying he's, he's the guy on this team uh, at the end of the year, just because he's such a great fit with Burrow. Now yeah. at the same time, and you know, you like, you look at Larry Fitzgerald's Larry Fitzgerald got older and then, uh, he, he got into a, a different system. He, he started playing him more as a big slot that kind of helped, his career keep going. So maybe that's what AJ's future is. And maybe that's what justifies the extension he's going to get uh, is fitting a little bit more into that role. Uh, but at the same time, we need many people to w- push the boundaries on the outside. 
Uh, and you can't trust Ross right now for speed. So you got to have, you know, somebody who can separate a little bit on the outside to open up some of those other things. And maybe that's like their expectation that they expect Boyd to grow into that role. And maybe that's why we don't see an Asia Green extension. Maybe they want to see Boyd ascend to that status and be that, you know, essentially the number one in this offense, even though he's not an, an X like AJ Green. Maybe that's their expectation that, and they expect him to gel more with Burrow than, than Green. That, that's a that's a great point that I never even realized. Yeah, and Boyd, a lot of people think he could be a, uh, I think you may have mentioned it, Matt, the kind of J- Justin Jefferson piece um, to, you know, kind of move him around, do some effective things around in the offense. You know, I, can, can I flip this question on you guys? Yeah. All right, so I was just thinking about this the other day, and I'm, I'm glad to have somebody to talk, talk, uh, talk about because I'm, I'm usually alone on my show. But, uh, <laughs> You're talking so, to the wall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's say, so right, right now, Ross and Green don't have contracts past the year. I think the expectation and, and you know, the, the beat guys and the guys that are connected seem to think that an AJ extension is in the works. But let's say you go into this year, John Ross plays 14 games and he's like 800 plus yards receiving. And AJ Green is the one that struggles to stay on the field. Are, are you extending Ross? I mean, we, we're counting him out as gone because they didn't give him the extension, but I mean, to me, if you can't let both of them go, I mean, if you do let both of them go, you got a problem. You got to, you got to find somebody else. And maybe it doesn't have to be a, a top draft pick or something, but you need a third. Huh? I mean, <laughs> unless, unless that guy's right about Auden Tate, <laughs> you know, but, um, but yeah, I mean, so if, if Ross can stay mostly healthy all year and be productive and AJ is the one struggling, uh, do you extend John Ross? Anthony, I'm going to you first. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate that. Uh, you, you know, first of all, I, I don't think they'll lose both of them. I think I think they will be wise enough to realize that they just they can't do that. I I think, oddly enough, though, some stuff that came out today on Friday, they were saying, you know, some some beat writers were saying that they feel that the Bengals may play it out with AJ for this year. And they may wait. Um, you know, he may not get that extension in the off season. I personally, I think from a PR standpoint, and they'll probably come to a deal with AJ and let John Ross walk. That's my personal opinion. Regardless, unless Ross, you know, has like a like you said, like in a thousand yard season and multiple touchdowns, and he's showing finally there he is. That's the guy. But at, at this point, I think they're gonna they're gonna stick with AJ, and I think I think they made a pretty concerted. They sent a message saying that, uh, you know, the Ross thing is done and, you know, we'll try and hang on to green if it makes sense. That That's just my opinion. I think that's regardless of what what occurs this season. In my, in my mind, that's like their best case scenario, whereas they can I, I'm, I'm kind of with Anthony here. I don't think like if Ross has a year that we all want him to have. I think they love that because it becomes a Tyler Eifert situation where he can go off and get a contract that that he's earned. It's just it's just the point where at they probably just don't trust him to replicate that because of the first three years. Sure. And if AJ Green doesn't do that well and they don't give him an extension by July fifteenth, he becomes more reasonable to bring back, especially because now he's a, he's a year older. I'm kind of with Anthony, whereas I, I think if if you, if you had to if there's a gun to my head and I had to guess one's coming back, regardless, I think it's just Green. But this is also the team that let you know Mohamed Sanu and Marvin Jones go in the same year, so really right. nothing off the table. Yeah, 
I mean, I, I could definitely see there being uh, uh, I could see there being an AJ Green extension before the season starts. I mean, exactly. I, it, it wouldn't surprise me, but um, but yeah, just with the with the situation with both of them, and and then like AJ's older too. So like if you if you if you get to the point where you, you don't think you can trust AJ because something else happens this year that he doesn't play in half the games or something, it's like that's when it gets interesting to me. But we'll see if they seal him up before the season, then you know. And we're stuck anyway. So yeah, I mean, I, it, it'd be great to have it'd be great to have that problem if you're the band. Right. I mean, that that means obviously your offense has been successful. It's just you know, it's a lot of ifs, and it would take a massive step forward, even just from a health standpoint, uh, for Ross to be able to to give you that kind of thing. And ironically, John and I have talked about this a little bit. It's it's kind of funny because in the Rams system. Ross was kind of in that mold of the receivers that, that, that McVay and Zach Taylor like to use the smaller, fast, you know, yards after the catch guys in the form of Brandon cooks, Robert Woods, that sort of thing. Yet the Bengals and Zach Taylor, even though they didn't draft Auden Tate, they seem to like him. They seem to want to keep AJ green in his immense size. They drafted T Higgins in his immense size. It just, there's a little bit of a, a, a dichotomy there in terms of how the Rams offense was was kind of used and the players that they use there and who the Bengals are bringing in and who Zach Taylor is using here. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I think I think A.J. Green still has a lot in the tank. Um, I, I really do. It's just a matter of him being on the field. I, it's not like, I don't think he's washed up. I don't think he's going to be ineffective. I think if he's on the field, he's that star guy and he, he keeps in immense shape. I think these things that have been plaguing him have been just kind of freak deals. And, uh, you know, I, I, I still see a handful of productive years out of him personally, whether that's here or elsewhere. Um, I still think he could be a productive guy. Yeah, I can definitely see it. I'm, I'm with you on that. And that was, I, I was, I was somebody last year. I was like, he's not really injury prone. And then of course he gets hurt in the first day of right. camp. And it's like, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's, Let's get on out of here, guys. We've gone a little longer than we thought, uh, but it's been good. We, we broke down the schedule, took a handful of questions. We wanted to get to more, but we're just we're kind of strapped for time here. We appreciate everyone tuning in and submitting their questions to us. We did get some good ones that, unfortunately, we just did not get on the air, but keep those coming to us. Even if you're not, even if you get those to us at another time, uh, where we're not on the air, we still like to hang on to a lot of those and answer them on the air. So keep those coming to us. Keep it to CincyJungle.com for all the news, opinions, analysis, breaking news, all that good stuff. Keep it to our podcast channel, Matt Minnick, to, I don't know, it would be that side, right? Yeah, Matt. Matt uh, <laughs> does his Chalk Talk episodes on our YouTube channel, which have been getting rave reviews from uh, a number of our fans. And he does some other standalone podcast episodes with some interviews. Great stuff there. John and I do our weekly show along with some of these listener questions, special interview episodes, etc. So keep it to our program. Sorry if I spit when I speak with Daddy McDuke and Hoji Smoji, as well as the boys Ace Boogie and Zim Huday. Orange is the new black. They've recently had TJ Hushmanzada and Jeff Blake on their program. Uh, pretty cool stuff there. And I guess they've got even more lined up. So uh, we are working on getting interviews across the channel on our on all of our different programs. So keep it tuned there. Thanks for all of your support. Because of your support, I mentioned this on our weekly show. This this channel, this program has been a top football iTunes downloaded channel. So we can't thank you enough. 
leave us some reviews, subscribe to our, our podcast channel so you don't miss an episode, whether it's live or after the fact. Thanks for the support. Matt, thanks, buddy. Appreciate you jumping on. John, same to you, my friend. Have a good weekend, guys. Have a good weekend, everybody out there. We'll see you next time. See you. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.